0: You're listening to The Digital Economist, a speaker series where we talk to global action leaders on the most urgent topics and challenges we face today in climate, health,
1: society, and economics. I'm Arvinder Singh, a technology entrepreneur, and along with our founder, Navroop Sahadev, I'm sitting down with global leaders to talk about their journeys, how they envision the future, and how their work is creating an impact.
0: The Digital Economist is a global impact ecosystem focused on building insights, products, services, and programs toward human and planetary outcomes. Launched at Davos in conjunction with the 50th annual anniversary of the World Economic Forum, we are a multidisciplinary impact platform where ideas are born, nurtured, and implemented. To create a better, thriving world. I am Navroop Sahdev, and we believe that technology is an enabler, and our collective power to steer it towards human and planetary betterment is the most urgent need of the hour. Yeah, I think we can get started, Sophie. Okay. I can't wait. It's early morning Great. for both of us. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you everyone for joining. Um, uh, and uh, the EITs in particular, as they're finishing up their program with us. And uh, I'll just give a little introduction. My name is Nabrub Sadev. I'm the founder and CEO of The Digital Economist, which is a global impact ecosystem, building programs, uh, services, products as well as insights to build a human-centered and planetary-centered economy. And what does that mean? will unfold more as we talk to Sophie Alkern today, whom we are very delighted to have. Usually we have technologists and uh, leaders who are focused on you know, some aspect of the business, as you see, usually close to technology. Um, but what we have today is a very critical uh, aspect of of tech of innovation, uh, which is law, which is policy, and so Sophie Alkern is a, a lawyer. But uh, even you know, I think more interesting than that she's an immigration lawyer. So uh, today, I think we can unfold uh, what immigration means and what the impact of immigration is for innovation, for building innovative. Uh, hubs around the world. And um, of course, Sophie's also an entrepreneur based out of the Silicon Valley. So Sophie, I'll pause here and let you introduce yourself and um, tell us about who you are and what you do. Sure. Thank you so much, Navroop.
1: I am honored to be here. I have such great respect and admiration for the Digital Economist and everything that you guys are doing and this amazing, amazing group of entrepreneurs that you brought together. So thank you for the opportunity to be here today. As Navroop said, I'm a board certified immigration specialist by the State Bar of California. And I'm a second generation uh immigration lawyer and immigrant my mom is from germany and my dad was her immigration lawyer so it's in my blood
0: and that's an interesting story right there
1: <laughs> we can we can unpack that more if you want and now there's ethics rules about that sort of a thing but i'm glad there <laughs> when i was born <laughs> right on <laughs> so i grew up Uh, I grew up with my dad bringing home amazing stories every night of all the people he got to meet from all around the world. And it didn't matter if they were from, you know, Vietnam or South Africa or, uh, you know, just Malaysia or Poland or Nigeria, you know, he was meeting people from around the world every day. And he was he really inspired me because he was passionate about helping them make their lives better for themselves and their children. And he introduced me to this concept of immigration for entrepreneurs and immigration for tech. And, uh, after he, um, passed away six years ago, I decided that I would start my own immigration law firm here in Silicon Valley. And one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur was um, because I didn't think I had any other options. I had spent four and a half years out of the workforce to be a stay-at-home mom to my two little kids. A divorce was looming on the horizon and I had really bad imposter syndrome and I thought that nobody would ever hire me for a job. So I thought, well, it'd be easier to try to convince a few clients at a time to hire me and and see what could happen from there. And so what has happened from there is that we recently won um, top law firm in California for tech startups. I am now a TechCrunch contributor. I have a weekly immigration advice column called Dear Sophie. And I've bootstrapped the firm to over 15 people. We've helped thousands of individuals from startups and on their own from around the world to take immigration into their own hands. And I love being an entrepreneur. And now that Alcorn is established and thriving and we've systematized and procedurized all of these things so that we can have heart centered client relationships, it frees me up to have more time to explore a lot of the topics that you've mentioned that I'm really passionate about, including, um, you know, one of the values that immigration brings to the workforce is diversity, diversity of thought that has an economic value, but how do we promote diversity and inclusion? And um, so one of the the startups that I'm involved in, Key Labs, is about digitized decision-making to bring about Jointly supported decisions and to allow diversity to be recognized in groups. And that has implications for human artificial intelligence down the road. And I'm also, you know, uh, was approached yesterday to create uh, an AI machine learning startup that would do lawyering for people. And when I see these opportunities, I'm always thinking, okay. You know, the human relationship is really critical in a lot of these service services. So how do we how do we empower the whole reason my firm has been successful is because it's like, how do we empower attorneys to have good customer service to treat customer? I mean,
0: this is sacrilege, right? And and that's very important to you. Right, right, right so
1: like, how do we take customer service and use legal tech to empower that experience for lawyers and clients? That's one of the things I'm really interested in. So that's absolutely.
0: a nutshell.
1: Really nice. Yeah,
0: talk. no, thank you. I, and I think that's reflected, Sophie, also in your values. I know when we previously connected, uh, we chatted about everything, from the sun to the moon and uh, <laughs> And um, it's so interesting. I, I think you've said a lot there. I'm uh, also I'm just uh, I'm just thinking, wow, where to pick up because there's so much that we can um, you know we can start with or or cover but I think um, I'd love to start with your I guess personal story. It's up to you how much you want to yeah. share this yeah. is um, public uh, so okay. um, I'd love to hear how I think the evolution of your life from um, going from Working in DC to starting your own law firm with a few years out of the workforce. How is it uh, that you, I think, got past that imposter syndrome? I I know there are a bunch of women entrepreneurs in this group. So, and I think that is a very important conversation that, uh, you know, uh, is worth shining a light on. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to share. It's something that.
1: I keep thinking I, I I want to write a book on, but then I don't know how to frame it. So it's good for me to talk about it. <laughs> but um, life is challenging for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And that can be really hard sometimes. And a lot of people... Um, can find themselves, no matter how smart or successful they are, whatever institutions they got into, um, it, it can be easy because of the way we're, a lot, the way a lot of cultures and a lot of families and a lot of parents, you know, model behaviors, the way we're brought up is to think that we are um, powerless and that we're victims of, of circumstances and other people and how they might treat us and that we kind of have to take it and, um, make lemonade out of it and try to move on, um, and ignore it and for women, you know, be a good girl and, um, don't, don't complain. And so I had, um, I had, you know, So here's the deal. Uh, I had a lot of Me Too experiences early on before anybody was allowed to talk about that. And it wasn't cool. And uh, the, you know, the, the adult who was involved in the situation ended up going to jail. But the whole thing was traumatic, not just the original events, but also the way, you know, the police did the investigation and the process of uh the court trial and all i wanted when i was a a freshman at stanford and 17 or 18 going through this was to be a strong woman and i had no idea what that meant and it felt like something very very far away from me and i kind of um spent a lot of years, you know, separated from my, from my inner compass and my intuition as a result of those events. And, uh, when I had my kids, it sort of hit again through a combination of postpartum depression and then PTSD getting re-triggered and it set me off on a really long personal journey. Um, and I didn't think I would ever be an entrepreneur. I, practice law for a few years and then got burned out um, through being triggered through my client's asylum stories that I didn't have the emotional strength to be able to process. So there's this, you know, re-triggering thing that can happen and also something that doctors and social workers learn how to prepare for, which is compassion fatigue that I didn't know was a thing so i basically just quit when i had my my older child 10 years ago uh, quit from my dad's law office and i was I, I felt really ashamed and he was crushed and um yeah i had, had internships at stanford and in law school in dc and other places um department of justice capitol hill Uh, But I ended up working for my dad in Southern California when I became an attorney um, 12 years ago, kind of right when the recession was happening. Um, And so I followed my, my ex-husband who got a job at a tech company and we came to the Bay area when um, my, my son was little and I was a stay at home mom and I would like Wash baby food dishes and look out the window of my house at the tall building in uh, downtown Mountain View where 500 startups was, and I just remember washing the baby food dishes and and being so resentful that Silicon Valley felt so close and so far away. And I was um, my my kid's dad is a wonderful man, and our marriage didn't work out and. I didn't understand why he didn't want to be a startup founder but he had no interest. He's happy being an engineer at a big tech company and uh, finally I realized that those were my own aspirations that I was not letting myself listen to and um, and then you know life life happens and uh, my my dad... Um, passed away very unexpectedly in a in a a weird accident Um, and i was ready to put my kids in full-time daycare move to southern california take over his firm Um, but then i found out he had been listening to me in my in my uh postpartum depression i told him that if something happened to him there was no way i could take over his law firm and I didn't know that he listened to me, but he did. So then I found out that, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't my responsibility to take over his law firm and that I wasn't gonna be a part of it. And so that set off a huge chain of events in my life um, where I thought I wanted to have a startup or, or be an entrepreneur, but that was when social media platforms were, basically all the startups that were around and I thought I would need to code and go to coding school and that seemed like a waste of time for me to be an entry level programmer when what I wanted to have was a company and this is the imposter syndrome I thought you know well who's going to trust me to do anything in that space so I might as well do some a few visas a few green cards maybe I could help some founders maybe I could get maybe I could get near entrepreneurs and learn from them. And so, and you know, also to the folks in the room, this is, I think one of the reasons I can identify with a lot of my clients, Um, you know, being an outsider in Silicon Valley is a really intimidating thing. And I, and I definitely felt it and I'm a native English speaker and I'm a US citizen. So I have a lot of respect for people who navigate the system from from other countries. And that's been, I think, something that I've been able to share with my clients um, in my immigration law work. But that's the story in a nutshell, Narub.
0: I <laughs> thought I'd just- And what a remarkable story. <laughs> yeah, I was Thank like- Thank you okay. for sharing that.
1: I just need <laughs> enough money to stay in Silicon Valley after I get divorced so that I can keep raising my kids here. So therefore my business has to be successful. But when you're stuck between, you know, a rock and a hard place, you definitely figure out how to make things work. So there you Absolutely.
0: go. Absolutely, And I think one of the things your story has highlighted um, just right off the bat is that it's not just about immigrants, of course, for whom it's really hard to come to the U.S. They go through a lot more um right a lot more challenges uh the bar for them is like a lot higher if you're going to be able to make it in in the u.s um but you know it's not just that i think the uh, i think you talked about life is hard and, and this just reminds me of buddha's teaching the first teaching which is life is painful uh and then a lot of it is you know but suffering could be to some degree optional, but there's also no real way of knowing how much someone's suffering. Some, something tiny may cause a lot of suffering to somebody, whereas, you know, a, a very painful situation, uh, generally speaking, you know, depending on, I guess, your capacity and circumstance and all those things, and I guess self-mastery, right, um, yeah. Yeah. Can, can lead to lesser suffering uh, than it, it would cause to somebody else. Um, so I, I just think I've
1: thought about, I think about all the time is realizing that my emotions, which used to felt, feel like an uncontrollable roller coaster that I was just going for a ride on and had no way to do anything about it. Um, that they're actually a huge source of, of power. And because they reflect my intuition and help me make these business decisions and that I can actually choose thoughts that feel better to change my emotions. And that helps. Absolutely.
0: You. So, yep yep And neuroplasticity and and i'm really glad i think you're starting at a note which is very very human you talked about your life story i think perhaps in a more uh personal way than probably any speaker you had on this series um and i say it in a good way we had some remarkable um you know people um Leaders uh, uh, over the past three months and and will continue to. But uh, really, your bravery stands out, Sophie. Yeah. So let me just say that before we kind of start talking about work and okay. uh, all all those <laughs> other topics. Uh, and, and I think uh, that's something you know really worth acknowledging. And I hope you write that book. You know, Chris, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you you you've got a few buyers uh, in in okay. the queue already. Great. Um, yeah, so just kind of moving on from there, mm-hmm. Sophie. We got, um, uh, you know, we have another um, something around 30, uh, 38 minutes here, right. and I really want to, you know, leave some time for the questions as well. And just for the audience, please do write your questions in the chat function. Uh, we will uh, look at them and try to cover as many as possible. Um, And so we have a lot of interest, by the way, in in blockchain technology. So we'll kind of go into that. But even before we do, uh, what is your take, Sophie, on the current immigration system in the U.S.? And that's something you deal with all the time, every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's
1: a great question. It is very messed up. That is that is my take in a nutshell. And I'm trying to find ways to make it better. I'm starting to lobby to try to get a startup visa passed by law. And I'm very hopeful that something in the Biden administration will click for that, whether it's um, a regulatory executive order that uh, Obama created, that he just actually um, allows to flourish that would support entrepreneurs or if we could get Congress to pass a real law about it that would be amazing um, the immigration system you know it it's like uh, it's like a sieve or it's and, and, and people going through it are like osmosis in a way it's just this arbitrary thing it doesn't really have heart. It doesn't realize that there's reasons for people to cross through that threshold that are not just about, um, well, there's so many reasons, you know, people come through family immigration to start businesses and people use business immigration to be with their loved ones. So it's just a tool. And, um, the last four years, I had a video that went viral on Periscope four years ago when Trump put the Muslim ban into effect, and it was me basically reading the order and crying about it, and I think 17,000 people watched it, and I've decided, I had to decide to change my approach, because if I had felt suffering, as you mentioned, every time Trump did something to make it harder for immigrants in the last four years, I would not be standing. So I think the the best way I've decided to see this cluster is uh, it's an opportunity to navigate it. There's weird exceptions and loopholes and you can use those creatively and legally. And so that's what I've been able to build my practice on. And that's been a huge economic opportunity, you know, for my business. And I think that's what entrepreneurs do is find, um, the narrow pathway. So the system's super messed up. It's been messed up for decades. I don't know when or how it's going to change. I'm trying to find sideways
0: solutions also, Mm -hmm. you know. That's so interesting. And I think once again, you're probably like the most human-centered attorney probably (laughs) that I've ever (laughs) spoken to. And and I'll tell you this, I think also for, I guess, people in the audience, um, I have, I'm on my work, it's the seventh U.S. visa. Um, (laughs) probably (laughs) not a surprise to you Um, and so I've been through that you know system seven times and it's every few years
1: and it takes a lot of your energy and what if you could just be building the digital economist instead of worrying about renewing that every two years right
0: right right right, right. exactly And, and and you know just like you said it's it's just been it morphs in interesting ways and uh, like you said, you have to find these creative solutions. And and I think outside of the U.S., there's this notion. Uh, I'm born and raised in India, as you know, that the you know the U.S. visas are really hard to get. But yeah. when you have some visibility inside the system, it you realize it's not hard to get just because the, the bar is so high. It's hard yeah. to get just because the human biases make it hard. And once you become aware of those biases, you can work with them. You can work around them. Uh, you can change your positioning to work alongside them, and exactly. then you're in the system. Exactly. Um, yeah, totally. and it's not hard just because you know uh, the the merit. Uh, even though, of course, you know there are those visas as well, and the, the O-1 right. well, and you the E
1: B one. Okay, yes, you can get a visa, but that's not the only way so we just launched a 15 module online class called extraordinary ability boot so that anybody in the world can get a visa or green card without marrying an american having a million dollars or getting a job from a u.s company so if anybody's interested there you
0: go absolutely yeah. here goes uh, our pitch for today try having a webinar next
1: week you can email me and join
0: <laughs> fantastic yeah and i think it might be worth it to drop the link here so okay. as well I think it'd be massively helpful for our audience um, as well, and I and I just think it's it's so interesting how you're from on one one hand you're practically working with the system and helping people, and on the other hand, uh, I think uh, all of us I guess are with you in trying to steer the system towards uh, better human centered outcomes. Um, okay, so I'm actually gonna take the first question just because I think they are so deep that we're probably gonna need more time and okay. I also encourage everyone in the audience to post their questions. Um, so I think it's it's the first one uh, kind of dovetailing on the previous uh, question that uh, I, I asked you, Sophie, is from Vern singhi who's one of our entrepreneurs in training, uh, one of our top entrepreneurs in training actually after the demo day, and um, he says it's uh, no more secret that America's immigration policies are broken, which is what you um, you just talked about. And there's a little sign in Washington for a bipartisan desire to fix them. So in your opinion, do you think there is a ray of hope at the end of the tunnel, or is it just headlight of an incoming train? That's interesting. And um, he also quotes a statistic here. He says, today on average, an Indian uh, who are mostly right? 75% of H-1B uh, beneficiaries um, might have to wait somewhere between 25 to 75 years to get a green card. Will there be a fair system in place which prioritizes legally entering migrants for green cards and citizenships? So I think there's a lot in that question. Uh Focused on India, uh, you know, tech workers, legal migration versus illegal migration. So, you know, love to hear your take on this.
1: Uh, It is possible now and it's going to get easier. But there's never going to be some sort of panacea solution that just like you're probably not going to open your front door one day and there's a gift box, you know, saying, Oh, here's a green card. We really like you. Uh, please come. That's, it's not like a, a Christmas card or something. So you have to take action. But the first thing with taking action is believing and knowing that it's possible. I'm actually going to loop spirituality back into this one because, uh, <laughs> I see this with some of my clients. it's It's like law of attraction. and there's some people who, just a handful of people who've who've um, gotten inspired, but usually they're really uh, negative, and they think that everything is going to work out poorly for them. And, it feels like it doesn't matter how much we try to help these clients and go above and beyond. They keep attracting the worst things like the thing gets lost in the mail or the government has an error on their website and it's not random. It happens to the people who are the most negative, but right. There's no reason for this. So I would say the first thing starts with education. So that instead of just being, questioning. You can learn about the tools and resources to be confident that this is possible, but there are tools and resources. And so as a system, you know, Biden has a really strong immigration platform. He has a lot of things he's going to do in the first 100 days to make it easier. I think as a nation, our whole attitude to the outside world is going to shift in a lot of ways, immigration being one of the particular ones there. But immigration is hard to change because a lot of it happens by laws being passed by the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the President signing them into law. And we're still waiting for the outcome of the Georgia election to see if the Senate will be Democrat or Republican, which will affect the legis- you know the the power to pass laws in the next administration. Um, but everything that Trump did by tweet and executive order and regulation, Biden can undo, probably not by tweet, but through a real process, and he can make his own things. And so, yeah, it's 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 hard, but it's getting better. But at the micro level, this really just matters one person at a time. And for somebody who wants to do it the right way and legally, if there's not a solution today, there there's always a way to map it out so that in one year or two years, there could be a solution. So it just depends on what you want.
0: Excellent. And I think that's very empowering. I hope for, uh, for anyone listening to this, that there is a way to do it. Um, And it's funny because I think my own story, um, getting an EV1 was, uh, was a friend of mine who was a filmmaker in LA. He said, look, I got it. Right. (laughs) So I didn't even think that you apply for the Einstein visa. You know, you apply for visas or um, green cards based on extraordinary talent. Agreed. We ended up sending a 650 pages application, which is around two books. Uh, (laughs) But but at the same time, I think um, just going through that process and just sort of like, it really helps you you know, at least for me, it really helped me see, hey, you know, I'm killing it. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it's empowering. And, and uh, you know, you start to learn how to advocate for yourself. Right. And this is not something obviously just gender dependent. Um, but I'm
1: actually just going to bring up gender in a group because, you know, for this type of visa we're talking about, the O-1, there's eight criteria. And um, I can't tell you how many I've, I've seen this contrasting situation where, um, men who, you know, are marginal on two or three of the categories want to go for it. And so this is just to the women in the audience. Um, there's women who over the top meet five out of the eight and they're like, oh no, it's not ready yet. I haven't published enough papers. Like, give me another year to make it be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Don't let the great be the enemy of the good. You have to just choose and decide if you're going to do it or not. But also, right. also Navru, I have weird hacks and weird creative strategies that I would have never come up with were it not for the Trump administration. So in some ways, I'm really grateful for what we've gone through because it's forced right. me to think creatively. So if like I have a new solution for a funded company um, or a company with revenue that can afford to make an initial somewhat sizable investment because they need two H-1Bs for a person at the same time. But the the person doesn't need to have 650 pages of accomplishments. They just need to have a bachelor's degree and be heading to a job related to that at the new company. And there's this really cool loophole and foundation that I'm working with where you know, the EIT who's getting the visa would teach American students who are diverse and underprivileged at local community colleges that don't have good funding, um, lead them on a group project for five hours a week by webinar to do something that supports the company. The foundation is connected to the university, so they get an H-1B with no lottery any time of year. And then once that's in place, the company can file a second H-1B for the other 35 hours a week right away. And that's available now. So there's really cool, really, really- I think you're gonna get
0: some applications. (laughs) excited about it yeah. so you yeah, know so that's interesting right and I think it's it's I think it's shifting my paradigm too where uh, I think to some degree obviously uh having been through that system seven times over um I'm aware that you know it really a lot of it is sort of you know looking at that loophole and sort of working creatively but also I think uh with what you're talking about, it, it's just it just makes me wonder. Well, the entire legal system, you know, we have this notion of law and policy, and there's this formalized structures and processes and institutions. Yeah, I see but, it as
1: a malleable film that, like yeah. a thin film, that stuff can go. That's porous. You can flex it. You interesting. Bend it. You can move it. You can shape it. So oh, I didn't realize that until you said Yeah.
0: That. Wow. That is fascinating. I love that. I love that. Now I want to hear your take on some of the future forward mm-hmm. um, trends in mobility and uh, migration around the world. So we have a question from Rong um, who um, asked, what are your thoughts about the global mobility um, You know, as, as a subset of? or I should say, immigration trend. uh, Sorry, the question's not uh, fully clear. uh, And uh, as as a subset of global mobility and its influence uh, on it.
1: Well, I'll tie this into COVID because when COVID hit, I thought I would never have another client again because (laughs) nobody would ever need a visa because we could all just work from home. And then I realized, okay, there's still a lot of reasons why people want to be together. And why companies need people in person. CEOs need to do market research if they want to enter the North American market. They need to be near their client base to understand the, the culture of their customers, or you know, negotiate with VCs in person. Um, or you know, if it's uh, hard hard sciences or engineering, you may need lab space or an engineering facility. So you know, and also. Uh, there's, I really miss working, going to my office. I'm in my home right now with a virtual background, but um, I miss the thing that happens between people where we're in the same space together, a handshake, a hug, eye contact, you can feel somebody, and that's really hard to do. So all of those are reasons why Zoom is not the answer for everything um, forever. So. So COVID and global mobility and the future. Um, before COVID, there was this whole thing about digital nomads, right? I think Costa Rica is is on the cusp of passing a digital nomad visa. So that's a new thing. Um, there's in the startup tech space, there's a lot of countries that I wish, you know, that I'm trying to get the US to learn from, uh, like Canada and New Zealand and Germany all have a lot of funding and government programs for startups and entrepreneurs. Um, Companies are struggling with global mobility because of the tax liability and employee employment law liability that it opens up in different locations. And they don't know how to track where their employees are anymore. And if it's gonna open them up to, you know, the substantial presence and needing to pay taxes in another country. So there's a lot of legal and compliance issues raised by all of this. But at the end of the day, humans, this is a book that I might write, you know, humans are nomadic, we want to walk, we want to wander, borders are artificial creations, and really governments in a way are just platforms that have a geographical monopoly, um, but what if you could just subscribe to different government platforms to support you with whatever your needs Let's are. go. I have
0: multiple <laughs> ones overlapping at the same time, so... <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. You know, agreed, agreed wholeheartedly with that comment about humans being nomadic. I think that, you know, that, that is intrinsic to, to who we are and I guess our evolution uh, or the past. And if you tell
1: somebody, okay, you're stuck in this country, then it's like, oh no, this is on. Like I'm, you know, right? right, right so it's right. like a challenge that we wanted to. Yeah.
0: Take. And just on, on that, it, since it's so current, I think I read an article and this was actually not that recent. It was like during COVID times, just two, three months after, I think when Google announced mm. and other tech companies announced that, okay, you can work from home until mm. the end of the year or perhaps even later into uh, you know 2021. Um, and I read this piece that said 25% of the tech workers in Silicon Valley have left already. And this was before like the second wave. Um, and, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, wow, that's interesting. You know, we're looking at these patterns of deglobalization. So what does it mean from a legal perspective? And I know you touched upon it a little bit, opening up tax liabilities for companies in other parts of the world. Like how is, you know, the US system gonna track these people or do they need to track these people and employees of U.S. companies, right?
1: You have no idea.
0: So (laughs) So messy. It's
1: so messy. It's human. It's so messy. And, uh, you know, people are sending me articles about you have to leave the Bay Area. I really like it here. Um, And there's also people here that are saying that the cost of housing is not going to decrease because there's still high demand. And... I just spend every day interacting with people who want to come here, not people who want to leave. Um, but I do think that there's this increased uh, Oh God, what is this? Like an increased fractionalization and diversity in terms of sovereignty where we want to have smaller, more local, Jurisdictions to make laws sure. that are more appropriate for the Bay Area or um, a small nation, but there's this desire to have self-governance and sovereignty at at smaller levels, and especially in the U.S. because you you can see the um, divisiveness of our of our political system and beliefs. Um, so. I don't know, the companies are all all struggling, but it's the rise of the local. Like in my law firm branding, we do not do what my dad did in the 90s, which was Statue of Liberty, red, white, and blue, come to America, home of the free land of the brave. Like I do not (laughs) do that in my alcohol market. My whole branding is about uh, rebels who have the courage to take their life into their own hands. I have pictures of happy, diverse people. I don't really mention the United States, (laughs) <laughs> because it hasn't sold for the last four years. So right. a lot of ways to, to take this question.
0: Absolutely. I think um, I think a lot of what you talked about is sort of that morphing identity of the US as well. And I think that's another sort of ocean uh, we can discuss. But I want to take up a question here from one of our audiences, uh, folks of the audience. Um, Mateo Tambusi, he asked, what's your point of view on the future of immigration with digital identity
1: oh i want to build it it doesn't exist um our government has these giant failed behemoth contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars with tech companies to try to improve the system but it does they don't work and by the time they've spent through the money and it's been five years the program is irrelevant and it hasn't changed anything i think in the last 20 years they've managed to digitize three or four forms out of hundreds and there's no reason that this whole system i think i saw one of the questions mentioned blockchain there's no reason this whole system could not exist uh or or use documents verified by the blockchain right that's a huge opportunity um but okay so right we could and there's no there's also no reason that humans need to adjudicate a lot of these applications like USCIS almost went bankrupt this year because they're only funded by applications and congress had to bail them out because demand was so low and there wasn't enough money but so I think there's a huge opportunity that you know if you're passport is this and your university is this and your you know your tax record is yes you've paid your taxes why not just get those three things verified in by the blockchain and have an automatic visa be spit out for you right we could build that um but on the other hand when we're thinking about human-centered economies that will only exacerbate the difference between the haves and have nots, right? There are people who just have no access to this system yet. Maybe they don't even have cell phones yet. Um, and so,
0: you know, a hardline
1: government approach might be, well, then you don't deserve to come here. And, uh, we'll sample your DNA when you're at the border applying for asylum and then we'll put you in the blockchain with sure. your DNA code. Right. So I, I I, just, I'm worried about the social repercussions, but for doing immigration legally, um,
0: it could make it a lot faster and better for a lot of people. Interesting. So I think what you talked about um, is the fact that digital identity is doable, but there are massive risks where this yeah. can actually increase inequalities. And so if we go that route um, to be cognizant of them and building in a way that we are not just, you know, further disempowering those who are already, at, I guess at the bottom of the pyramid yeah. and the system works for them. And I think the goal of a, like a homogeneous system is to have, you know, the same ground for everyone um, but at the same time, it sounds like it's just a massive burden, you know, um, yeah. I read the reports of USCIS and, um, you know, the U.S. needs immigration. Um, oh, and that's a fact. Yeah, we would be <laughs> screwed without it. It's just nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> right, there, right, right,
1: right. In some places, people have racist and xenophobic leanings, which is sad. But you don't have to live in those places if you're an immigrant and it's not the whole U.S., But a really cool thing with the rise of the city-states, one of the Biden proposals, and this would take a law, but one of the Biden proposals is for local immigration sponsorship. So a small Midwestern community that's based on farming where the population is aging and the young people are moving away to the cities, they don't have doctors, they don't have professionals. What if they could sponsor people to come and live in their town? Like, I think that would be a wonderful, wonderful
0: thing. So. lot of that sounds fantastic. Yeah. And I think just uh, there's this, you know, I think the world's coming closer. Uh, There are some stories that are highlighted by media, um, you know, for example, adopting from another continent, um, Mm -hmm. but also at the same time, it seems like uh, the the whole system needs massive overhauling and we we don't quite know yet as to how that's going to work out. Yeah.
1: Well, I got to have a really cool experience where a few weeks ago uh, I was approached and I got to edit a potential law that a member of Congress might introduce in the next year. And it was one of the most thrilling experiences of my legal career where I got to open this document in Microsoft Word, put on the track changes feature and delete and edit everything. And, um, I put in weird provisions to help the spouses and the children and make everything go faster and invent new processes for the, like I invented in this uh, premium processing for work permits. And uh, like just, if you know, this stuff is random and weird, but when I gave them the feedback, I said, okay, I stuck with the purpose, I just made it work better. Um, And they were like, oh yeah, that's cool. So who knows, but it was
0: really fun. <laughs> we hope it's, it does become the law. That's, that's, that sounds about all these, right. All of these ways
1: that we can all be rebellious in our influence to lead with our hearts. And I think
0: that's the thing about influence, right? If you build any influence, then you use it to serve the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's why we're here. Um, I want to get to the next question, Sophie. Okay. Um, from uh, Joel Christoph, who asks, how do firms of different sizes and different industries and in different industries face different immigration challenges? For instance, do particular startups and AI, blockchain, crypto, biotech, robotics, so emerging tech face greater difficulties than others? And if so, why? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it doesn't really matter unless it's on a controlled technologies list, which might eventually include things like AI, but does not currently because the government process got stuck for that. So, you know, if you're building weapons, or there's deep tech stuff that has military implications, um, you'll have to go through a special export licensing process. But Aside from that, the government has no idea what you guys are actually building. We try to explain it in human language so they can maybe get it. But then the only other major factor is: does this come is this a legit company because they're worried about fraud and make-believe companies? So does the company exist? Is it real? Is there a real business need? And do you have enough money to pay this immigrant's salary for the next? year or two years or three years, depending on the length of the visa.
0: Got it. So technology doesn't matter. It's not that we are biased towards or favor no. emerging tech or. No. There's one type of green
1: card called a national interest waiver, where we're proving that your work is in the national interest. So it's hard to use vices for that. Um, and so you know it's it's good if if there's a a way to spin your company about that it's doing something good for america it's not just um like a adult video website or something right um Mm -hmm. so so there's that and then also drugs uh marijuana uh there's still you know although there's pockets of jurisdictions where um there's some legality to things using marijuana THC ingredients um, that is not legal at the federal level, except for CBD. So there's a lot of um, it's. It might be hard to argue that a company doing that is in the national interest. But on the other hand, if it's you know drug discovery and psychological well-being, it, but it just it has to be legal. <laughs>
0: Right, right, right. Okay, so I think the takeaway here is there are all these other laws that regulate what is legal in the country, yeah. uh, corporate law, business law, and just general anti-fraud you know, fraud, money laundering laws yeah. that you need to comply with. Um, so I have one more question here. And this question is from Ranjini. Uh, she's asking, what trends are you seeing from the high growth startups that you advise? Mm -hmm. How do you think the U S should think about local job creation while pursuing tech talent, despite the cost? Yeah. Well,
1: the cost is an interesting throw into that. Um, So what are the costs of immigration? The costs are job competition that americans are having their jobs taken away maybe right or that immigrants don't pay taxes and neither of these things are true so actually even uh low-skilled immigration or family-based immigration is super valuable to the u.s economy because a even undocumented immigrants pay their taxes very loyally, and they are bolstering our social security system, which otherwise would go bankrupt much sooner. Uh, And then on the topic of um, job competition as a cost, an immigrant founder who's starting a company is not taking a job away from an American. You're inventing a job for yourself and you're creating jobs for Americans. So. The US has a huge opportunity to benefit here, um, which is even more important coming out of COVID with high unemployment. So uh, I'm just trying to do my part to bring people here one person at a time and slowly change the narrative and try to get a more systematic approach where we can benefit from these things.
0: Right. I mean, and you and you wonder, right, like, how did you get here? Uh, how is it that all indicators, all numbers, all data, all economists are telling you since like decades that um, immigration mm-hmm. is uh, necessary for the U.S. growth It's a necessary ingredient. And yet there is this political spinning and capture um mm-hmm that has completely, you know, I think, rainwashed it probably wouldn't be a very strong word, a lot of people's minds on how this is in fact taking away their jobs in, in any way. Right. And also the shift in the
1: Republican Party, which used to be a party uh, under George Traditionally, Bush. He was right. trying to bring in additional workers, uh, trying to get more visas for people. and that, mm-hmm. And that huge shift, you know, Obama deported more people than any president in history. And then we have trump who's a, a businessman and who's used tens of thousands of visas for employees at his hotels and businesses it's been a very mysterious year but i think a lot of it is about getting votes and playing to people's fears and making them feel insecure about their jobs and feeding into that and and if if people there's these, these two triangles that have helped me in so many ways, but here's another application. It's called the empowerment dynamic. And the negative version is that there's a victim, uh, who's being chased by a persecutor and who needs a rescuer or a savior. So that's one loop that you could be in. And if you flip it, it's like, oh, okay. There's a creator who is seeing new opportunities because of a challenger and who is supported by a coach. Right? So same, three-way triangle but just the negative version and the positive version and so we're all mm, manipulated to be in the victim savior thing and immigration is the persecutor in that but it's
0: you know it's just a fabric how interesting wow um i think that's a very again a very empowering perspective to anyone uh, watching us right now and hearing you sophie and, and yeah. also later on i think um, that's a uh, paradigm shifting. So I'll quickly take one last question from Chidi, and I, I know we have three minutes left, and uh, you know, we can talk to you forever. So fun, Sophie, by the but. way, this is like we've <laughs> talked about so many things. I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> right on. Um all right, So he asks, and, and uh, Chidi is based in Nigeria, in Africa. He asks, a startup founder gets a work permit as a result of a US venture capital firm investing in his, which I'm also gonna slash with her, uh, startup and requesting that she runs it from the US. Uh, By the way, I started using she as a default pronoun uh, a few years ago. Um, And so his question is, if this startup gets acquired 100% by another big player in the ecosystem and the startup founder is no longer an employee of the acquired company, can the startup founder easily renew her work permit to pursue other venture building opportunities in the U S or does she have to return back to her home country? So I think the question is, yeah. Unless you want me to rephrase that. No, I got it. I got
1: it. Um, there's different visa types. So if the first visa is a transfer from a, Nigerian subsidiary to a US Delaware C corporation registered in California to come to the US office as a multinational manager executive and you come here and then the company gets sold well a if it gets sold you could there's weird laws where you could still transfer your visa but B if you want to move on to the next thing um, I think at that point you would probably qualify for extraordinary ability for sure even if you didn't the first time so there's this Or we could get have you have a green card by then if you're not born in India or China. The system's so racist. That's an aside. But if you're not, uh, you could probably get a green card once you're here in two to three years. Or even before you come here, you could just get a green card from Nigeria before you move here and then you can do anything you want in your field after you come here. So there's different options.
0: Hmm. Right. So it seems like there's no a natural consequence or uh, you know successor be, of that visa but it has to be a separate thing depending uh, on your there's sort of a in interest
1: provision but it's really just define your goals where there's a will there's a way we can find a we can piece together a patchwork of visa stepping stones for you to get to your goals. So don't mm-hmm. let that
0: be the limiting factor just figure out what you want. That's amazing. That's the most empowering um immigration conversation I ever had, uh, that's for sure. And I've spent a lot of time- uh, spent a lot of time- uh, Immigration time. lawyers. Lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> True, and, and and I think in, in uh, I had I had good experience. Uh, I am not gonna lie. My first visa was sponsored by Harvard. So I think that sort of sets uh, a good um, trajectory for others to follow uh, as well. But Sophie, what's the one last uh, take away, you want to leave the audiences with today? Uh,
1: life is a choose your own adventure book, and you can choose joy and power, and you can appreciate your freedom and all of the opportunities that you do have in the present moment. And so if there's somewhere you want to get to, then just know it, decide it, recognize it, be okay with your dreams, because you can't reach them until you at least admit to yourself that that's what you want, and once you know what it is, you know life supports you in mysterious ways to make it happen, even if the course isn't obvious at first.
0: Wow! Thank you so so much, Sophie. This is this is awesome stuff. I hope uh, the audience has enjoyed this conversation as much as I did, um, and I invite you all to. Uh, Follow Sophie. She's a big influencer in the Silicon Valley. She's also a council member at the Digital Economist. We are super proud to have her. And you can also check us out at thedigitaleconomist.com and link with us on social media. We have one last talk before the end of this season, before we break for the holidays and uh, reconvene for season two of the Speaker Series. Thank you all for joining today. Have a great rest of your day and go make your dreams come true. Thank you, Navroop. It was lovely. I loved our conversation. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you all for joining. Bye now.